listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome, welcome everybody to the People Powered Planet Podcast, where each week we have exciting guests. Uh, not just talking about all the terrible problems of the world, which we are kind of drowning in, but instead uh, uplifting views of how we can build a better world, how we the people can come together and create a people-powered planet. Today, uh, we have a very, very special guest, uh, an old friend of mine who I knew since the early 60s when, uh, uh, when he was involved with, uh, with, with anti-war activities back then to prevent a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Uh, he's the uh, author of a book called Waging Peace, The Adventures of a Lifelong Activist. And uh, he's the co-founder of World Beyond War, a world beyond war. And this is a global movement to actually build that future beyond war and making it a future where it's just as illegal to kill people outside countries as it is to kill them inside countries. Um, now, he actually has been waging peace since he met Martin Luther King at age 15. And he was in civil rights demonstrations. He was blocking nuclear weapons at Livermore Lab. He was, uh, he, he was block, helping to block the uh, uh, trains carrying uh, shipments and munitions for fueling Central American wars. Um, so he's, he's waged peace, actually, in some of the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, he has, he's, he's the founder of the Global Peace Force. I mean, he's not just sitting here talking, we should have peace, you know, and let's all be nonviolent with each other. He's actually got a force of people on the ground dealing with conflict, top conflict spots around the world, helping defuse violence, helping to bring peace. Uh, now this is, you know, a microcosm of the, of the huge global peace force we need in the, in, in the world, but it's the beginning and they're waging, they've waged yeah. peace in some of the most dangerous places in the world from the uh, Philippines, Iran, Kosovo, even in the Soviet Union. Uh, now, David is a fellow Quaker. Uh, I remember him speaking at the Quaker meeting in the House in Washington about the uh, uh, San Francisco to Moscow Peace March, uh, a, a, a incredible walk to help uh, prevent nuclear war. And, and so at a key time right now when we're facing even much greater threats, when the Bolton of Atomic Scientists clock has moved us to from seven minutes, a proverbial seven minutes to a midnight of unparalleled in destruction, the end of civilization, it's now 100 seconds. We stand on the edge of, of, of tyranny. Uh, the nuclear threat's actually gotten greater, even though people aren't talking about it. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the threats of a destabilized world. So in this time, and in this time when we face, uh, you know, real threats to the very existence of American democracy as we know it, we're going to talk to David about a very important subject. And that is, how can we let the massive public know a force more powerful than violence uh, for dealing with this kind of threats? So let's start with David. Uh, David, I'd like to have you talk a little bit about uh, uh, how you see the power of nonviolence helping us in, this, in these uh, dangerous times. Well, good to see you again, Arthur. And uh, it's good to be a uh, fellow uh, world citizens uh, working for, for a peaceful and just world over uh, many decades. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, I, I met Martin Luther King back in 1956 when I was 15 years old <clears throat> and uh, seen uh, nonviolent practice, nonviolence in practice in, in the South. Uh, made a great impact on me. Uh, and I've been working and trying to help uh, in, in supporting and being involved in helping organize nonviolent struggles, nonviolent movements for peace and justice ever since. Um, it just seems to me uh, it's insane. It's not illegal. It's not only illegal, it is insane to be um, addicted to war, <laughs> addicted to, to killing people as a way of trying to uh, achieve security and resolve conflict. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, 
unfortunately, uh, the U.S. and the world have been addicted to war for uh, generations, and uh, it's it's ever more stupid. Uh, back in the First World War, I think over ninety percent of the people that were killed in wars were uh, were uh, the soldiers. Now it's over eighty percent of the people that were killed in wars are civilians are women and children, old people. And um, as Dan El Daniel Ellsberg points out in his uh, new book, he says that if we have even a small nuclear war, uh, we're going to end up with nuclear winter. And uh, not only will billions of people be killed initially by that nuclear war, uh, but uh, essentially uh, life on our planet will be over as a result of nuclear winter because there'll be so much uh, debris into the air that the sun will not be able to get through and we cannot grow crops. We'll all be, <laughs> we'll all be toast. Yeah, now, now look, uh, a, a key way for people to look at that so they really realize the power of that is that the meteor that hit Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs is estimated to have been between, to between, to spend eight, between eight and 10 miles in diameter. Now, how many dinosaurs could you kill, you know, an eight to 10 mile area? But that threw so much soot into the air that it created that global warming that you're talking about, that greenhouse effect that blocked out all the vegetation and ended the dinosaurs. So indeed, just a, a small nuclear war using a tiny percent, like for example, a war between India and Pakistan or, 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 or other uh, so-called uh, tactical nuclear war is a threat to our existence on this of life on Earth, and that is why it's so urgent that people start learning not just the problem, but how can we begin to turn that around? Uh, what do you see as the uh, uh, solutions that can help us empower a, a shift? Well, I think there is several solutions. One, uh, you and I both are consider ourselves world citizens, and. Uh, I, I don't see myself so much as an American or my friends that are Russians or from India or China or uh, South Africa as being, you know, we're all, I, I consider we're all children of God. We're all citizens of the world. And especially in this age of, uh, of potential nuclear war and uh, pandemics like uh, COVID-19, uh, there's, there are, the borders will mean nothing <laughs> uh, when there's war. So we need, to, we need to broaden our scope of who our, our family is. It's not just our immediate blood family or the people in the city where we live or the state where we live or the country. Uh, we are all citizens of the world. And uh, I, I think... Uh, we need to uh, be concerned, not only for our security, but for security of all people in the world. So that one is we need to change that whole mindset. A second is, as I said before, our addiction to war and violence as a way of resolving conflict. We are spending over half of our, every federal tax dollar that each of us pays uh, to the federal government every year in the United States uh, for wars and preparations for more wars, for, quote, better nuclear weapons, for uh, uh, the, the, seven the seven primarily Muslim countries that were bombing around the world. Um, the Cost of War Project, uh, just I think last week came out with a, a study showing that uh, at least 39 million people were driven from their homes from the wars since 9-11. We were, we as Americans were very upset that, that what close to 3,000 American people got killed that day. But in response, we have fought every, we have fought wars every day since and have driven over 39 million people from their homes. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed and it's cost <clears throat> over $6.4 trillion just for the, the US for those wars. 
Well, what, what we could have done with $6.4 trillion in terms of uh, improving not only the lives of every American person, a decent education for everybody, free medical care, free uh, college education, uh, making the transition to a renewable energy world so we're not threatened by uh, global warming. And we could have helped make a decent life for every person on the planet. Now that, that's real security. <laughs> it's not making ever more enemies. And even our military leaders have said, uh, these wars are not making us safer. You know, every drone strike uh, that kills, quote, a, a terrorist is also killing at least 10, 15, 20 uh, civilians uh, who had nothing to do with, with uh, terrorism. And for each of those people, their families and friends will become enemies. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's the second. A third is the power of nonviolence. And Gandhi and Martin Luther King have pointed the way to uh, an alternative to violence and war as a way of resolving conflict. And uh, what I feel so empowered and excited about is that people all over the world are discovering the power of nonviolence and nonviolent movements as a way to resolve conflict. So all over the world, <clears throat> people, when their governments are either dictatorships or not listening to the people, are nonviolently overthrowing those, those, uh, those governments. And that started with the Philippines. Well, it started with India, <laughs> with Gandhi. But uh, more recently in 86, with the Philippines, where they had a dictator that had uh, been in power for decades, uh, just nonviolently faced the tanks, you know, uh, with their rosaries <laughs> and the, the nuns bowing in front of the, the, uh, the tanks. And uh, Marcos, the dictator, had to leave the country within, I think it was about uh, a week or 10 days of that, millions of people out in the streets. Well, uh, more recently, there's been so many examples uh, all over Eastern Europe. Uh, the people, uh, the U.S. had said for, for, for decades, the only way to de defeat communism is by a massive military and by be being prepared to, to engage in nuclear war. Well, uh, the, uh, the, the Berlin Wall fell and the, di the communist dictatorships all over Eastern Europe fell, not as a result of all the American billions, trillions of dollars we'd spent on, on war, but through the people nonviolently saying, we're not gonna take this anymore. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, a very powerful example of that. Uh, I went to Lithuania recently on a rotary exchange trip, and we met with, uh, with the, uh, first head of state of Lithuania, uh, President Landsbergis, who uh, led the singing revolution. They, this was the first country to break away from the Soviet Union. And I got to meet with him because Gary Davis, uh, the one we talk about in our movie, The World is My Country, World Citizen Number One, he had given uh, Landsbergis a world passport two weeks after he declared independence from the Soviet Union. Uh, and Landsbergis told me that this passport was so important to him because uh, once uh, they declared independence, he could still travel with his old Soviet passport, but he didn't want to do that. I'm not a Soviet. I just said we're independent from that. So he was so glad to have the world passport. He said, he said so when I went to the border, I pushed them the world passport and they stamp it. <laughs> so he thought that was so great. And, uh, you know, it was incredible because here they were, here was the mighty Soviet empire that had crushed resistance movement after resistance movement, every violent every semi-violent distance who was crushed. But in Lithuania, they had a singing revolution. People were out there singing songs of freedom, you know, as you, and, and as you mentioned, they were doing rosary beads in, in, in Manila, but here they were singing songs of freedom. And 
uh, when we went on our tour, our tour guide said, you know, I was up on top of, of, of this building here telling people, okay, the tanks are coming down this street. And then everybody would rush to that street and block the tanks. They weren't running away from the tanks. They were going toward the tanks. And they were keeping the tanks from taking over their TV station, from taking over their parliament building. And they were doing the same kind of nonviolent thing we saw with that Chinese student who, before the whole world, stood in front of a tank. And, you know, they were using the appeal to the humanity of the, of the driver of that tank with their bodies. And 17 of them were killed. 17 were run over by tanks. But 17 is a very small number compared to what would be lost in a much more unsuccessful violent revolution. So uh, tell us a little bit more. How did these various movements learn about nonviolence? And, 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 and how, did, how, how does that get taught to people? Uh, there is a film called The Force More Powerful, uh, which uh, is six stories of uh, nonviolent people power uh, making major change in history. Um, and uh, one is uh, Gandhi uh, in the Salt March uh, in India. Uh, one was the Civil Rights Movement in the United States uh, where the students uh, nonviolently challenged segregation, went to jail all over the south of this country, uh, risked their lives. I mean, some were actually killed. Um, uh, a third was the uh, nonviolent resistance to, the, to Hitler and the Nazis in Denmark, where they saved uh, over 90% of the Jews uh, nonviolently uh, from, from Hitler. Yeah, I, understand, I understand in that story briefly that uh, at one point the Soviets uh, ordered, uh, the Soviets put up their flag and, this, and, the, uh, uh, and the president Asked, said, you have to take down that flag. And the, gov and the Soviets, of course, said, no. So any soldier takes down our flag, we'll shoot him. And the king said, I am that soldier. <laughs> and so he, they couldn't shoot him when he took down the Soviet flag. So yeah, the power of nonviolence is, uh, is pretty incredible. We'll carry on. <laughs> um, and a similar story, I think it was the, the king of Denmark, uh, when the, the, the Jews were all ordered to wear the Star of David, uh, the, the king decided, uh, announced that he was going to be wearing the Star of David. Well, that's, that, that's solidarity. <laughs> we're all brothers and sisters. Uh, we're not going to allow people to be singled out for, uh, for killing or discrimination. So um, the solidarity movement were the people in Poland. That was really the example for all of Eastern Europe of how to resist uh, the, the communist, the Soviet uh, domination. Uh, the nonviolent overthrow of Pinochet, the dictator in, in Chile. And finally, the, uh, the transformation of South Africa from uh, an apartheid regime to a democratic society. So uh, those films are available on the uh, International Center on Nonviolent Conflict uh, website. And mm -hmm. people need to be inspired. There are examples of, uh, there are positive examples of how to deal with oppression and, and governments that are uh, uh, misbehaving, <laughs> that are not uh, meeting the needs of the people. And there's, there's Gene Sharp, uh, who I know you know, but uh, wrote a book called The Politics of Nonviolent Action and wrote a book called Waging, uh, Waging Nonviolence, uh, which is, uh, he talks about 20th century experience, 21st century potential. But he actually, in much more depth than this film, uh, talks about all the examples of, uh, of societies where, where people um, nonviolently uh, overthrew those governments that were uh, oppressing the people. It's actually even more than just uh, telling you what happened. It's actually the the detailed manual on how she yes. actually has a detailed manual on how to 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 do a nonviolent revolution, point by point, step by step. What are the factors and steps? And this has become a manual used by people around the world to bring down dictatorial governments. And it's something that you know, frighteningly could be important for us here where we're now hearing that, you know, we may have a, a president who uh, 
refuses to step down, who takes a, a dictatorial power by manipulating the election, by having uh, you know armed uh, armed uh, vigilantes trying to intimidate poll workers by saying you know they're they're saying well we're we're protecting the poll by you know <laughs> keeping people who aren't authorized to vote and you know just so many things that could lead up to uh, incredible oppression right here with far greater tools of oppression than than Nazi Germany or or the Soviets ever had you know total information control of knowing everything where everybody moves and everything you know we have all this great technology that served us but it also you know tracks us everywhere and uh, facial tracking and so uh, from satellites so when we when we look at those threats uh, uh, we, there will be people who will think oh this is terrible we've got to do we've, we've got to have a revolution uh, how do we quiet those people who who think they should have a revolution when that's exactly what uh, the forces of oppression want. They want somebody to, you know, kick up violence so they can come down heavy. Yeah. How do we, how do we, how do we uh, quell that, uh, the people who are frustrated from thinking they could solve it with violence? Well, uh, first, before I try to respond to that, um, I, and just in terms of this present situation, there's increasing um, discussion by many people that uh, even if uh, the president in the White House uh, loses the election, uh, he may uh, not be willing to leave the White House. He may not be willing to, he'll, he'll call it a fake election or you know, fraud. And so um, there is a, uh, if people go to uh, choosedemocracy.us, you'll, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are signing that and it's a declaration that if that happens, uh, they will nonviolently resist, similar to what's happened uh, in India and in Eastern Europe and the Philippines and Liberia and so many other places, uh, South Africa. Um, we will uh, nonviolently uh, say no more business as usual in the United States. Maybe hundreds of thousands of us will surround the White House uh, day and night. Uh, maybe people will be sitting in congressional offices uh, saying to our congressmen, demand that the people be heard. Mm -hmm. uh, but at any rate, uh, and there will be trainings on the 23rd and the 30th of this month that George Lakey and Daniel Hunter will be leading. Um, I, but anyway, that's choosedemocracy.us. I encourage people to take a look at that. So nonviolence is not just something you look at in history. It's what's happening right now. And um, I, I think if I, if I remember your question, I, I think in terms of, of governments, when they are dealing with people with guns or with, uh, or with looting, they know how to deal with that. You know, they just shoot back. <laughs> they put their knees on people and kill them. Uh, they, uh, they just get more repressive and they won't even allow then uh, nonviolent demonstrations to happen. They consider uh, everybody as part of the enemy. But if people engage in nonviolent struggle as the people in the South did in the freedom movement, when uh, black people were not allowed to vote, uh, when people would be hanged People would be beaten up with billy clubs. Uh, people in the freedom rides where their buses were burned with people in it. Uh, over and over and over again, the government was using violence to try to you know, stop these movements. Well, uh, when the people in Alabama were, uh, were uh, <clears throat> we're trying to, the black people were trying to go and register to vote and the police came and beat them down so they couldn't even enter the door uh, of the courthouse to register to vote. The people just kept marching even when their, the blood was running down their faces. And uh, they kept doing that day after day after day and, and essentially saying, you know, you're, you're not our enemy. We're all American citizens, and we're just demanding 
that we really live our democracy. Well, uh, that was on national television every night. And the people across this country, when they saw this, uh, I mean, their, their hearts and their conscience were touched. And they decided, look, this is totally un-American that black American citizens are not allowed to vote. And they supported then uh, the voting rights bill. So even though President Johnson had said to Martin Luther King, uh, when, when King came back from uh, getting the Nobel Peace Prize, Johnson had said, you know, we'll never get a voting rights bill in the next few years because, you know, we already have the civil rights bill, et cetera. Uh, Congress would never do this. Within two months of the Selma campaign, uh, we had a voting rights bill because the conscience of America, of the American people had been touched. And uh, they then put pressure on their members of Congress to listen to them, <laughs> not listen to the racist. That's uh, so important, that power of, uh, of media being a part of it. And today, even though the force of oppression and of tracking us and everything are greater than ever, we also have greater power in our hands. You know, all the, all the cell phone cameras that record mis misdoing, all the YouTube videos and so on. These are our way, these are our tools for getting out the word and for, and, and, and for touching people's consciousness and hearts. So, so that is so crucial. There was a story in Guatemala where they had a, a horrendous dictator back in the, in the 50s, early 50s. And, uh, there was just massive nonviolent demonstrations. And the, the, uh, the dictator just kept uh, mowing people down, killing them uh, that resisted him. Well, that nonviolent movement grow, grew and grew and grew. And finally, uh, the story goes, his secretary was not willing to type out his orders. <laughs> and he had to leave the country. Well, that, that, that's, that's nonviolent power. And right. uh, if in the United States, just as an example, if Trump refuses to leave and uh, the people are treating the police and the military who have been ordered to kind of keep the peace, quote, keep the peace, um, but the people keep responding with uh, treating these people as their brothers and sisters, as fellow American citizens who also want democracy, uh, and then they they refuse their orders to to uh, shoot at or to kill or to uh, maim or imprison uh, the the people. Uh, Trump would lose his power and he would have to leave office. So well, I, I also wanted to point out a new book called A Global Security System and Alternative to War, and uh, World Beyond War has written this. And uh, it lays out uh, a positive vision of how, instead of spending uh, over a trillion dollars a year on uh, wars and preparations for wars, and essentially making more and more enemies around the world, how the methods of diplomacy, the methods of uh, negotiation and mediation of nonviolent peace forces, that instead of uh, sending the Marines in, if something terrible is happening some part of the world, send some nonviolent peace teams to go and accompany the people that are being attacked. Uh, and this is happening all around the world already. Um, so anyway, I highly encourage people. This is the fifth edition of this book. Uh, we've been improving it every year. And for people that, uh, I mean, it really is an addiction. Just as I think there can be, the alcohol can be addiction to millions of people. Our addiction to thinking that we can get security through killing, through, uh, through threatening to put an end to life on our planet, <laughs> through nuclear war. I mean, this is absolutely insane. It's immoral. I mean, we criticize, and rightly so, the, uh, the, the Hitler and the Nazis for killing six million Jews. Well, that was terrible. But now we're threatening to kill every person on our planet through nuclear war. 
And why, and why could anyone ever justify for any reason putting an end to all human life on our planet? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I can't quite get it. But we keep each of us keeps paying over fifty percent of our federal taxes every year for these wars and preparations for wars, and say no, we don't have enough money for decent education for every child. No, we don't have uh, the money for masks <laughs> to defend people from this pandemic. No, we don't have. Uh, we we don't even have money for uh, food stamps for hungry people in the United States. No, we don't have money for the United Nations to fight pandemics like uh, COVID-19. Uh, no, we don't have money to make the transition to a renewable energy world where we will no longer have to fight wars for oil. So if the American people, like the people of India and like the people over Eastern Europe and the Philippines and Liberia and South Africa, and Chile <laughs> were to say, we're not going to put up with this addiction to violence and war anymore. We are all citizens of our world. And we're going to demand that we, uh, we commit ourselves to peaceful, nonviolent ways of resolving conflict and putting that those trillions of dollars that we're putting into wars and preparations for wars into meeting the needs of every human being on our planet, our, the human environmental needs, uh, we could be the most secure nation in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, people wow. could, would love the United States. What if instead of 800 military bases around the world, were, which are attacking people and dropping bombs on people, we were having hundreds of thousands of Peace Corps people out making friends. Well, <laughs> and, you know, teaching in the schools and, you know, feeding the hungry and starting uh, health clinics. Well, I mean, th that's our choice. And uh, we can either see ourselves as citizens of the world. And just as we care about people in our own immediate family, we care about each other all over the world. And if uh, you know, millions of children every day are dying of starvation. Well, wouldn't that be a better way to spend our money to helping those kids than uh, building better nuclear weapons so we could put it into life on the planet? I mean, are we, you know, we're asleep at the wheel. Why are we allowing our government to continue this insanity when there are viable, peaceful alternatives to, uh, to achieving uh, peace and security and justice for every person on the planet. Um, before we open to other questions, I do want you to say a little bit more because you did mention that there are nonviolent peace forces active already around the world. Uh, what has been and what is the experience of the nonviolent peace force that you created? Well, it was inspired by uh, Peace Brigades International and Witness of Peace in the 1980s, uh, when the U.S. supported Contras were attacking the, the uh, Nicaraguan people across the border in Nicaragua, uh, bombing child care centers and uh, health co-ops and agricultural co-ops, etc. A group of Americans were down just visiting northern Nicaragua to see what what was happening down there. And while they were there, the attack stopped. <laughs> and they were there for three or four days. And the last night they were there, they thought, wow, we've got an amazing power here. The people here have been attacked day after day, night after night for, for weeks and months. And there's no attacks while we're here. So they started Witness for Peace where for the next many years, there were American people coming down, both long-term people and people who would come down for two weeks and be in the war zones just to be present with those local Nicaraguan citizens. And um, that was an, an example. I mean, it was American people saying, these are our brothers and sisters. 
we're not going to allow this to happen. And there, through the power of nonviolent presence, uh, for whatever reason, the people that were on the other end of lobbying those bombs across the border did not do so. So um, inspired by that example, and there's many more examples that, that I could uh, mention, uh, people from around the world have started the Nonviolent Peace Force, which now has hundreds of people in conflict areas in different parts of the world uh, accompanying civilians who are um, being threatened uh, by uh, warring parties. And sometimes it's the government, sometimes it's you know the guerrillas on the other side, and sometimes it's both. Uh, but we have people uh, presently in uh, Miramar in Burma, in uh, the southern Philippines, in Mindanao province. We have people in um, South Sudan. Uh, we have some people in Iraq, um, but who are actually uh, accompanying civilians who are, uh, as I said earlier, the victims of these wars. Uh, and uh, so, as we saw in Central America, where we focused on uh, protection of the local peacemakers and the local human rights workers who are threatened by um, the powers that be, if we can help make, make it safer for them to continue their work, we as outsiders, we can't be the people that know all the solutions, but we just by our presence, we can make it safer for them to continue their work. Um, mm. This is a very important contribution we can make. So uh, even the United Nations is uh, now uh, discovering that uh, unarmed, nonviolent civilian uh, peacekeepers can often be much more effective than even armed peacekeepers or UN blue helmets. Different UN bodies, UNESCO, UNICEF, uh, the UN uh, uh, agency working with refugees are contributing some money to the nonviolent peace force to, mm. uh, to do the work in uh, war zones uh, around the world. And I mean, our vision is that this could become thousands of people. And actually these uh, peace teams are uh, not just Americans, they're people from all parts of the world. Uh, so they're truly examples of uh, the human family coming to the aid of others in the human family that are uh, being inflicted with violence and death by uh, death squads and by governments that are uh, uh, killing people. So, uh, and I think the uh, Secretary General of the UN uh, actually talked about uh, unarmed uh, protection or uh, unarmed civilian protection is uh, what, what they're calling it. Mm. So I, yeah. I, I, I think if, if those of us that are doing things like the Nonviolent Peace Force and the uh, World Beyond War uh, and people in the nonviolent movements around the world continue to show the power of nonviolent means to resolve conflict. Uh, I think this is contagious <laughs> and people, I mean, nobody loves war. Nobody loves to kill other people, but just because your government tells you that they're, you know, the bad guys. Uh, I think people want to feel, uh, you know, loved and secure and feel we can be friends with each other. We don't have to kill each other. What mother would like their, wants their children to go off and kill and be killed? What father mm -hmm. wants their ch children to go off and kill and be killed? So if the people of the world wake up to the insanity and the, the horror of, of continued forever wars and you know, former President H.W. Bush, you know, uh, I guess it was, or just W. w Bush <laughs> said, well, this could be forever wars. Well, uh, let's prove him wrong. <laughs> you know, if right. people refuse to 
fight in those wars, if people refuse to pay for the wars, if people refuse to be silent, while the government uh, uses their tax money to, uh, whether, it's, uh, whether it's nuclear bombs or whether it's any kind of, <laughs> I mean, we're not only uh, have these 800 military bases around the world, we're the largest exporter of weapons. And you may remember Trump uh, showing uh, off on television, here we were going to send, what was it, $100 billion of weapons to Saudi Arabia? And well, this is going to be good for the American economy. Well, is that the way we want to have a healthy economy? Is that we're going to be killing the people in Yemen and, you know, that children will die of starvation because, you know, they can't get any food? I mean, is that, I, I don't think that's who we are as American people or people of, the, of our planet. We, we want to live in peace with each other, but we've got to wake up and say, uh, we're not going to put up with it. We're not going to cooperate with it. We're not going to go on with business as usual while our governments keep fighting these, you know, ridiculous wars. Very good point. Well, now, before we throw it open to questions, can you just tell us if people want to be part of that nonviolent peace force, if they want to sign up for that and, uh, or, have, or have friends or, or, or young people that would like to be a part of that, uh, where do they, how do they do that? Where do they go? Well, uh, you can just uh, Google uh, for most, most, a lot of people have computers and I suppose that's the right people <laughs> are watching this program. But uh, just look up Nonviolent Peace Force. Uh, you can find out actually much more than I was able to say here, uh, what they're doing in different parts of the world. And if you're interested in the possibility, I mean, I think we're recruiting people that really have some experience in peacekeeping and, and nonviolence. Um, but uh, take a look at that. Also, take a look at World Beyond War where you can actually sign a declaration of peace that you want to, um, uh, you, you commit yourself to working to nonviolently to end the whole war. Uh, and you can then see all kinds of great articles and this, uh, order a copy of this book, A Global Security System. Um, uh, David Swanth has written many books, including uh, War is a Lie. And all wars are based on lies. As I said, people don't want to kill each other. And our governments have to lie to us <laughs> to, to get us to kill each other or, or get us to, to pay 50% of our taxes uh, right. to kill our brothers and sisters that are on the other side of the world. Right. Um, but anyway, you'll see many good resources, uh, articles. And I uh, joined people in, I think it's over 180 countries around the world Excellent. that have signed that pledge, uh, the, the Declaration of Peace, and get actively involved. We've got uh, active groups all over the world. Yep. So go to worldbeyondwar.org. Well, let's throw it back to Melanie to take a few questions. Yes. And David, I just want to say thank you for such a hopeful, um, beautifully sta stated positive message about what we can do because often people are like it's too overwhelming it's been this way forever but we each make a difference and being nonviolent is critical for our success and sticking together reading your book waging peace thank you for all the work you're doing and have done it's just incredible so yes we do have a question from jerry tettleman jerry if you'd like to go ahead please thanks melanie uh, David, I just want to say I appreciate the work that you have been doing and uh, the idea of raising people's consciousness that war is a ridiculous option and that we live in a very dangerous world and deal with this immediately. Uh, I think that's something that uh, there's too many people that accept militarization as normal and it's certainly uh, we need to reject it. Uh, the question I have for you is about uh, your future vision. And when I say your future vision, uh, you know, I hear you talking a lot about the past and getting rid of war, but substituting, uh, I'm a promoter of the idea of one world democracy, of a world federation. And I believe in the idea of substituting, uh, the reason we have war is because we have anarchy. We don't have any law between countries or we have relative anarchy. 
And I see places like the European Union where they have fought wars, two world wars and fought for centuries that now is at peace within the European Union because they have a system of law, a parliament. It's not a total federation, but they do have a peace based on that. And I wanted to hear a little bit about your future vision as far as either reforming the UN or expanding the concept of the European Union or uh, you know, uniting the democracies. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about that, if you could talk about a little bit about your future vision for uh, substituting law for war. Well, again, um, Jerry, uh, this uh, book, The Global Security System and Alternative War, does look at whether uh, reforming the United Nations is possible or whether we need to uh, build a, uh, a new a global institution which is really representing the world's peoples, uh, not just their governments. Um, and um, I don't think we don't come down, this is right <laughs> or that is right. But uh, I mean, most governments, unfortunately, are still thinking in the, my government, <laughs> my government is right, <laughs> those governments are bad. Uh, and you know we've got these little wars and we've got big wars and um, I, I think ideally we would have some kind of an international institution representing the world's peoples um, and where something like the question of uh, are, do we want a continuation of war well the governments are going to say uh, well yes we have to defend ourselves and, off, and many, many times uh, when they say we, it's us privileged people <laughs> that are running this government. Uh, and it, it's thinking very narrowly. It's not thinking of the, the millions of people whose uh, sons and daughters will have to go off and fight and get killed and uh, bombing other people's villages, et cetera. So um, I, I see it, it's a, I see a change in consciousness where we're no longer so, uh, uh, I mean, the people I live in San Francisco, the people in San Francisco are not against the people across the Bay in Berkeley or people in New York or in New Orleans or <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia or somewhere else. Uh, and we, we see ourselves as American citizens. Why can't we expand that to uh, we're world citizens, we're global citizens? And uh, uh, that's, as you mentioned, that's what's happened in Europe. I mean, they fought two world wars, bloody, bloody civil wars, and bombed each other's homes and villages and uh, schools and hospitals. And, and now they wouldn't think of doing that <laughs> because they, they all see themselves as, you know, uh, European citizens. Well, um, so that change of consciousness is, is necessary. I think second, uh, then we need to change the institutions. Uh, and it's not just our American mil military uh, domination of the world. It's economic, political, social, <laughs> uh, uh, entertainment. All this is based on us first and us controlling things. Well, I mean, on a smaller scale, that's happening all around the world by different countries. We need to change the institutions, which are really going to reflect, uh, that's the World Trade Organization and the, uh, the UN and everything else, to really reflect what is going to benefit all the people of the world, not just uh, the nation, our nation state. I don't know, but, but I, yeah. I encourage you to take a look at this global security system, uh, alternatives to war for much more in depth uh, on that question. So crucial what you're talking about, about the, the role of law. Uh, and it's interesting that um, the, the experience of Jim Crow in the American South that you started out with, with the, with, 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 with the lynchings and the burning schools and all these things, it's very interesting that the when the people who wanted to create the apartheid system in South Africa got going, they actually studied the American South and how to do it. Uh, this is something Trevor, Trevor Noah brought out. And uh, in Germany, when Hitler was constructing his uh, apartheid system and, and a system of what led to the concentration camps, he also studied the, 
the techniques that had been developed there in the American South. And, uh, and at the same time, it's so inspiring that it's we the people, uh, the what the, you were a part of with Martin Luther King and everyone else, that brought down that incredible apartheid uh, state in the South. And that also became the example that the people in South Africa used to bring down the apartheid government and to put Nelson Mandela, who was in jail, into being the president. It was also what was studied by the people in Germany that brought down the Berlin Wall with huge people power and helped actually uh, uh, be a part of the crumbling of the Soviet empire. So now it's so incredible that you know, we, we Americans, we people in America, uh, if we can bring out of the best in us, we can be incredible leaders to the world. So we can, also, we can on the one hand lead in destruction or we can be the leaders of creative new ways. Um, and you know, one of the things that we learned from the experience in the American South is that there were three critical elements that made it possible to be the system that was so incredibly oppressive. One was nonviolence. If people, when they're, when they're, when they're, when people were lynched, they went out and lynched a white person. When their church was burned, if they went out and burned a, a, a white church, I mean, that war could still be going on, like it has in the Middle East, forever, back and forth, killing more and more and more till we kill us all. Uh, but that no power of nonviolence was a critical element. The second key critical element was was media, was getting the story out. As you mentioned, uh, it was that people saw that on national television that had that compelling thing. If it's all done in silence and we can't share it, uh, you know, it doesn't work. The Berlin Wall came down, we all saw it on TV. In South Africa, people all over the world rallied to support that because they saw what was happening in apartheid. So the second key element is media. But the third key, key element is law. As you said, you work to get this, you know, Johnson said we couldn't pass a, a voting rights law, it was passed. And when you had that law, then that could really make fundamental shifts, even in people who weren't touched by the nonviolence, even people who, who would never be moved by a, a feeling of empathy for the people who were killed. The, the law is what implemented the wishes of the people who felt the empathy. So we have to have that third crucial step law. Now in the world, we don't have that crucial step right now. There is no world law. There's treaty law, which is deals between countries. And as we see, Trump is breaking these old nuclear, all the nuclear weapons treaties that help protect us. He's tearing them up. The U.S. is going in the opposite direction. I mean, we, we developed the International Criminal Court you know, some years ago to, to make sure that all nations abided by you know, human rights standards, et cetera. And now, when the, human, when the International Criminal Court is looking at some of the things that US is, the United States military has done in Afghanistan and Iraq, we are threatening those people that, in, that are part of that International Criminal Court. It's like, you know, you are the enemy for calling any American citizens. <laughs> of course, we, we have to abide by uh, law just as I mean, most people in this country will abide by the speed limit, you know, uh, because that's in everybody's interest. Well, uh, we need to come to that same place where uh, the human rights of every person is respected and the treaties which have been uh, painstakingly uh, uh, produced that are going to respect that are respected by all people. And I just, I just, I just remembered, uh, Arthur, something you mentioned uh, Gene Sharp earlier, but his book, Dictatorship to Democracy, by the way, is the book that has become a handbook for people all over the world. Uh, and it's in many languages. I encourage people to take a look at that book. Because that, it's, like, it's a handbook of how we, we move from dictatorship and governments that are not listening to people to real democracy. Thank you for that. We do have one more question from Jean Stevens. If you would like to go ahead and unmute yourself, we'll, uh, we're almost out of time, but please go ahead. So I wrote in the, the, the chat, uh, do you have any ideas on how to get the peace groups and the environmental groups to unite under one organization or digital umbrella to ban the nukes. I agree with you totally. And again, World Beyond War does have a bunch of articles and uh, strategy uh, suggestions on, on how the environmental movement and the peace movement can be working together. 
I'm actually working together with the Poor People's Campaign these days that is really bringing people in all these movements together, the people that are fighting uh, poverty and injustice and racism and militarism and environmental <laughs> destruction, the environmental movement and uh, women's movement, uh, student movement, etc. I mean, as long as we keep fighting our individual little struggle, we're going to keep losing. <laughs> but if we can, if we can realize that uh, you know, the source of all these problems is uh, very similar, <laughs> and we need to be working together, mm -hmm. then I think as the people in uh, Germany and the people in uh, India and the people in South Africa, et cetera, discovered, together we've got, and, and if we can maintain non, a nonviolent spirit and in our actions and our movement, uh, we can have tremendous power. So um, uh, I, I support you entirely in saying we need to be working together. And I did see on the chat box, somebody asked how many of us have stocks uh, in any of the companies that are making nuclear weapons and, and military. And uh, there is a, a divest from war um, group uh, that uh, Code Pink and many other uh, peace organizations are trying to encourage people and uh, cities and universities and churches to really look at uh, any investments that they may have uh, that uh, may be su you know, supporting uh, making weapons of mass destruction or supporting what war in any way and to divest from that. If everybody divested from from those companies and those corporations, uh, they might begin to hear, "Wow, you know, if we want to continue in business, <laughs> maybe we better stop this nonsense." Thank you so much, David. Incredible, phenomenal, phenomenal, and so hopeful too. So that's I appreciate that so much. I think people need hope, and uh, I share stories from the last sixty years of uh, using nonviolent means to try to uh, challenge oppressive governments and structures uh, and the power of nonviolence. And I think we need to hear those stories. So I love that picture of you on the cover with, uh, with the flower in front of the police. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the best way to, to fight the police is not with guns or fistfights, <laughs> but, but with flowers. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, do get waging peace, uh, and uh, and let's all uh, uh, all wage it together. Uh, you know, this is the most powerful force in the world, and it's the it, it, the reason why they've done all these apartheids and separations is that's how they have their strength. Because when we're all divided and separated, when we come together, uh, we the people actually are the superpower that can save our world. So uh, so let's join us every week here on the People Powered Planet podcast where we continue to talk to more exciting guests. Uh, we we're so excited by David. David, you're just extraordinary. What a, what a great speaker for putting this all together and, and understanding uh, not only the problem, but powerful, powerful solutions that can turn it around. Ones that are counterintuitive, you know, you want to respond with anger. They're doing this, I want to do that. But if you can find that way to center it and get that higher power and call on that higher power to face this Horrible violence, non-violently, and that takes a hell of a lot of guts, a lot more guts than, than fighting back and shooting. If you can find that guts, you know, we can really make a difference, folks. So join us. Uh, next week, we're having another extraordinary guest. If you, if you go to the worldismycountry.com slash club and just go down to the bottom and sign up, you can sign up for a free trial or you can sign up for, uh, you know, ongoing subscription with the first two months free. But we really do need your support to carry this on and to carry on the... Uh, uh, getting out this incredible film, The World is My Country, which so makes the case for, for world law and really gives the key to how we the people can be instrumental in creating a new kind of world law that is not government over, that oppresses from above, but governance from the bottom up that implements uh, a world of law without uh, guns, bombs, but with the power of the people. So join us next week where we have another, another incredible guest, uh, and that is uh, we're having uh, Robert DeLaurentis, 
who flew a plane around, a plane called Citizen of the World. And uh, he flew it, it was a, it was a record-breaking trip that went from pole to pole. People have flown around these companies the other way, but his pole to pole route was so much more dangerous, a groundbreaking, death-defying trip, uh, but touching down all along the way to touch people's hearts with the message of, of uh, being citizens of one world. Uh, so join us next week uh, as we hear his, his incredible story, uh, watch a little bit of his amazing flight, um, and we'll continue to have some incredible guests after that. So join us for that. And uh, I think for a finale, since we're talking about citizen of the world, uh, maybe I could ask uh, uh, David and Melanie, Melanie to join us in just sharing our, our uh, oh, and I think uh, our, our, I am a, I'm a, the world of my country shirts. There we are. Hey. <laughs> hey, David, there's Melanie. So the world is our country, folks. And uh, once we realize that the world is our country, we have incredible power to change it. So join us this week and every week uh, for the People Powered Planet podcast. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.